Welcome to the Bible Preaching and Teaching Ministry of Dr. Douglas D. Stauffer. Dr. Stauffer currently serves as President of Key of Knowledge Ministries. He has thousands of hours teaching experience, 10 years serving in pastoral ministries, and has authored several books. One of Dr. Stauffer's most recent projects included his participation as consulting editor for Oxford University Press. He has also been the featured speaker on national and international radio broadcasts dozens of times. If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.mccowanmills.com. We're going to start in the Old Testament, Psalm 22. Go over to Isaiah 52 and then look at the things that Jesus said while He was on the cross took a while to figure out for sure the order that he said these things. But I believe that they are correct the way I'll present them. It really doesn't make any difference whether he said one before the other, but you'd like to be correct in what you said. Lester Roloff preached a message on the last seven sayings of Christ. And I've got seven here that he said while he was on the cross. In Psalm 22, in verse 1, the Bible says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? This is David writing, but prophetically it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Look at verse 6. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Look at verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, now hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. Turn to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 52. I don't think that we can fully appreciate what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. I don't think that we can in our finite mind realize what it would be like for the God of the universe to leave heaven's glory, to become fashioned like a man by being born of a virgin, coming down to this earth, walking for 33 years, ministering For all of those years, He ministered for all those years, did no man no harm, hurt no one, hated no one, 
And yet He died the most cruel death that ever man has imagined to put other men through. In Isaiah chapter 52, it describes in verse 14 what He looked like. As many were astonished at thee, His visage was so marred more than any man and His form more than the sons of men. These depictions of Jesus Christ on the cross are all false unless you see one where His visage is so marred more than any man. You could not probably look upon the Lord without bowing your head down if you loved Him when you were here. And falling down and crying because of the way that He was treated and what He looked like on the cross. What we see in pictures of Him on the cross, it's not true. He was beat and He probably would have died, except that He couldn't die. You see, He could feel every hit that went against His body, against His face, every time they plucked His beard. But He couldn't die until He became sin for us. Once He became sin for us, He could die. But they could have beat Him for 10,000 years and He wouldn't have died until He took our sin upon Him. Then He could die. So they beat Him until you couldn't even tell who He was. Look at chapter 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Therefore, all of the pictures that you see where he is an effeminate man, or where He is just beautiful or dainty or whatever they do to depict His pictures, they're false. There's no beauty that we should desire Him. I watched a video, Jesus Among Us, that the Reader's Digest put out recently. It's false. It's full of errors. It's full of deceit. Maybe they don't even mean to do it. But it's in there. If you watch it, whether you know it or not, you're being given an image. The image of Jesus was that He was some kind of beautiful man with long, nice, beautiful hair, always clean. No, that isn't the way it was. There was no beauty that we should desire Him. Not in and of itself. The beauty was within. He was God. Verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. After all of that, and you read it, and you say, oh my, look what they did to our Lord. And then you get the positive thing, by His stripes we are healed. Because He was willing to go to the cross and die for our sins, we can be healed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ by simply trusting in that fact that He did that for us. By His stripes we are healed. You don't have to suffer yourself. 
You don't have to go and do some type of religious form of of beating or denial in order to be worthy of heaven. You can't, I can't, and God won't accept it. By His stripes we are healed. Verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He could have called a legion of angels. He could have called one angel and killed everybody around that cross. What if he was a vengeful God? What if God just said, this is my son you're doing this to? He could have destroyed the whole world. What a God of love, the fact that He didn't. He sent His Son down here. He walked on this earth, hurt no one, healed everybody that He came in contact with. And man took Him and put Him on a cross because of jealousy and out of envy. Because they hated what the Lord was doing. He was more popular than they were. If your popularity is the only thing at stake, don't let the devil deceive you into doing something you ought not The Pharisees and the Sadducees, their popularity was waning. All of a sudden, there they were. And this man, he would heal and he would do all these good things. They looked at him and they said, no, he's going to take the people away from us. They're not going to follow us anymore. Faith was what the important thing is. Love, mercy, kindness, gentleness. They had forgotten these things. They got wrapped up in the law and said, the Sabbath day, you can't do any work, therefore you can't help anybody. Man is not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for the man. If you could help somebody, you were to do that, Jesus said. Is it wrong to do right on the Sabbath day? You see, they had turned this thing into something that was a burden on people. And it wasn't to be that way. Man couldn't keep God's law. That's why Jesus had to die. If there was a law given that man could have been righteous by God would have given that law, but there was no law that man could keep. There wasn't a problem with the law, there was a problem with man. Here we read about Jesus on the cross, and it says that His visage was marred more than any man. We cannot fathom what that means. You can't imagine looking into the mirror and not being able to recognize yourself. You can't imagine the blood that was shed, the crown of thorns that was put on His head. You can't imagine the pain that He went through when they did all of those things. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Jesus is on the cross. Look at verse 36. And sitting down, they watched Him there. And sitting down, they watched Him there. There was the God of the universe on the cross. And you know what the Bible says about the people? They sat down and they watched him there. You know, and they would throw up comments like, well, if you're the Son of God, save yourself. You saved others. Come on down. We'll believe you. You know how much Jesus probably wanted to come down? You see, He had to pray, not my will, but thine be done, God. He prayed and He said, is it necessary for me to take this cup, the cup of God's indignation, the wrath of God? He says, but not my will, but thine be done. He wanted to come down from that cross, I'm sure. And He wanted to say, look, I'm here. But He knew that God the Father had a plan. 
And that plan was that Jesus Christ had to die on the cross, had to shed His blood for our sins because He became sin and died for our sins. So He rose from the grave. They sat down and they watched Him. Think of the most embarrassing moment you've ever had. I used to think as a young person, I tell the kids this sometimes, I say, I had things happen. I was so embarrassed. I thought I was going to die. I thought it was all over. Turned 37 the other, the other day. And you know what? I don't think all those things were too important now. Now my back's important. That's what's important. You know? It's not whether I got embarrassed when I was 16 years old or not. Those things go away. But you know, even church members, sometimes we allow an embarrassment to stop us from doing the will of God. We allow it to stop us from coming to church because, oh, they said this or somebody said this. Oh, it's so embarrassing. I can't face them anymore. Hey, no matter what it is, you can do the will of God. There he was. He had all these people around him and they just sat down and watched him. He knew all their thoughts. Can you imagine what that would be like to be on the cross? And you know what people are thinking. You know it's wrong. But he went as a sheep to the slaughter. He was quiet. He didn't try to straighten them all out. He could have. He could have called for one angel or a legion of angels and stopped the whole thing. It also says in verse 39, and this is just one verse, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. God on the cross, and they go by and they say, he said he could destroy the temple in three days, raise it up again. He can't even get himself off the cross. What a joke! That's what they thought when he was on the cross. What a joke! Who is this guy? That's what they thought of our Lord and Savior on the cross. But forget that. What about Him on the cross? What about the God of the universe on the cross? You see, He didn't really want to go. Well, the Bible says that He was willing to do the will of God, but He knew that separation from God the Father was something that He didn't want to experience. He didn't want to experience that for the first time in all of eternity. The Trinity, the Godhead, was all of a sudden going to be severed. He didn't want to experience that. The seven last sayings of Christ. Turn to Luke 23. The first one that I have written down is in verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted His raiment and cast lots. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You talk about the epitome of forgiveness. You talk about the supreme example of how we should live our lives Concerning forgiveness. And there it is. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they are doing. We don't forgive today. Anywhere near that. And because of it, our Christian walk is stymied. You cannot be used of God and have an unforgiving spirit. You say, well, God uses me. Yeah, but boy, could He really use you. You would learn to forgive. Like Jesus. He didn't wait till he got to heaven and after he'd gone to hell and come back up and then said, Father, forgive them. No, while he was on the cross, one of the first things he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They did it out of envy and hatred and spite. And yet, 
He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You say, well, people know what they do to me when they do me wrong. No, they don't. Because if they knew the spiritual consequences of their action, I mean truly knew it, they wouldn't do it. So you can pray the same prayer no matter what is done against you. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't understand the spiritual implications of the judgment seat of Christ. If they did, they wouldn't do it. You see, we don't understand all these things. So you and I can honestly pray for somebody that does us wrong and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But we ought to look at ourselves and say, Lord, help me to forgive like Jesus forgave. If you have a spirit of unforgiveness, you are not right with God. If God can go to the cross and forgive on the cross, don't you think that we as mere mortals ought to be able to forgive those that are around us? We hinder the work of God when we don't. Look at Luke 23:43, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Here he was. He starts off with forgiveness. And then on the cross, he forgives somebody and takes them to paradise with him. What an amazing God we have. That's the epitome of love. Here he is in a situation that none of us can imagine. None of us can even imagine being in the situation that Jesus Christ found himself in on the cross. And he turns to him and he says, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. You see, the thief recognized him as Lord. Lord, remember me when thou art in my kingdom. He said, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. If you're not saved, you don't want to miss that. This thief didn't go out and do a bunch of good works and be good. And then Jesus said, Well, because you're on the cross here with me and you have helped all these people out here, you can go to heaven with me. No. That thief said, Lord, Lord. He recognized Him as Lord and Savior. And Jesus turned to him and said, that's enough. He didn't get baptized. He didn't give all his money to the poor. He didn't do all these things. And then Jesus turned to him and said, You've done enough. No, he lived as a thief. He died as a thief. But he accepted Jesus Christ before he died. You say, that's what I'm going to do one day. No, you may not. You may not. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until finally one day you're standing before God and you say, God, I heard the truth. I knew the truth. I want to do it now. God says, depart from me, you curse and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. What are you going to say? Why? Because when you have the opportunity to accept his son, you reject it. You reject it. How can you look in the face of God who suffered for you and then turn to him and say, I just wanted to wait until I was ready. You've got no business waiting until you're ready. When God deals, you respond. The next thing, look at John chapter 19. John 19 verse 25. This is on a personal level. Jesus, according to what I have read, was crucified about the third hour. And there was darkness from the sixth to the ninth hour. So he at least spent six hours on the cross. Verse 25. 
Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. That's the third thing. Behold thy son, behold thy mother. They weren't really son and daughter, but you know what the point is? The point is we need to treat others like they are our mothers and sisters and brothers and sons. If we treated all like family, wouldn't this world be a lot But let's just say we knew how to treat family members. Let's assume that we understood what the Bible said about our responsibility to the family. It would be a much better world if we would treat others like they're our family. Treat other church members. Treat people in the community like they're our family. And we do. But we can always do more. We should never be satisfied with what we've done. Because the Bible says after you've done all this, you're to say, we're unprofitable servants. Why? Because of what He did. Because of what Jesus Christ did. We should look at our lives and compare them and line them up with His life and realize that after we've done it all that He's asked us to do, we still have just done what is reasonable for us to do. Just reasonable. It is only reasonable that if He gave His life for ours, we ought to give our life to Him. The, mo- the main thing that you ever hear at the end of your life is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the most important thing that you can hear. Nothing from man means anything compared to getting that from God. Because chances are, if you hear that from God, you're not going to hear much from men. It's going to be the opposite. If you're always patted on the back, you're probably too wishy-washy. Beware when everybody speaks well of you. Look at Mark chapter uh, 15. Mark 15 is one of those verses that when I read, I tremble within. Verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lamach sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, the earth had been dark for three hours. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, it had been dark. No sunshine upon the earth. Why? Because God the Father had severed the relationship from God the Son. After three hours of endurance, He says, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? And we worry about ourselves. We've never experienced separation from God. You know, those in hell will probably cry out, Oh God! Oh God, why hast Thou forsaken me? That's probably what they're going to cry out in hell. Jesus experienced a little bit of hell on that cross. Because God the Father turned from God the Son. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Well, the reason that He did was because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, He made... He made Him to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteous of God 
in Him. Jesus became sin for us. That's why God the Father turned from Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you want to reject Him and then turn and say, well, I'll do it when I'm ready? You won't do it. Not if you continue to stop the Spirit of God from moving in your heart and life. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It will be a righteous thing for God to send anybody to hell. It'll be righteous. He provided the way to escape. He provided Jesus Christ as the means for a person to be saved. Jesus suffered a death that nobody has ever suffered before. Look at John chapter 19. The fifth thing he said. I think the people around him misunderstood. John 19 verse 28. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. You see, he had become sin for us. That was accomplished. All the other things were accomplished. That the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. He wasn't thirsting for something physically. He was thirsting spiritually. He was thirsting for the fellowship with God the Father. He was thirsting in a way that we should experience. We should thirst for righteousness and holiness and God to work in our lives. We should thirst for spiritual things. He thirsted. He said, I thirst, so they got him some vinegar. Do we thirst for the things of God? To do that which God has asked us to do? Do we thirst for those things? Do we thirst to live for Him who died for us? If we don't, we should. We should be looking around all the time. God, what can I do for You? What else can I do? Where can I go? What can I do? Who can I talk to? How can I be? Would You change my heart, my life, my soul, my actions? Change everything about me, God. You want to know something? God will do it. God will change you little by little by little by little. But I'll tell you what, you can go through the ringer to get there. But when you come out of the ringer and you look back and you say, boy, Lord, you have really brought me through some things. You see the miracles of God. You see, we've allowed the charismatic church to rob us of the blessings of God. We're afraid to get excited. We are. We sit out there in the pew and we just sit there stoic. Good church, loves God, does the will of God, great. Let's look like we enjoy being a Christian. Tell people about it. Put a smile on your face. Put a skip in your step. Look at John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up the ghost. But He said one more thing after this. But He said, it is finished. It is finished. He had performed that which God sent Him here to do. It is finished. He had lived the life that God wanted Him to live. He died the death that God wanted Him to die. And He died it the way God wanted Him to die. He lived for God. At the end, are you going to be able to say, I've Finish the course that God's put before you? 
That's the same thing. He finished the course. Paul says, I finished the course. Are you going to finish God's course for you? Where does God want you to go? What does God want you to do? But we need to be busy. We need to be preaching. We need to be out at the juvenile work and the jails and nursing homes. Doing a lot more than we're doing now. You say, oh, we're doing so much. Yes, there's so much more to be done. Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door. There's two of them. I look down the street and there's ten more. That's the fifth time they've been to my house. The devil can get his people out. Why can't we? If the Jehovah's Witnesses are out in force, God's people need to be out in force. And if we don't go out there, they're not going to hear it. If they don't hear, we're accountable. Look at the last thing in Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, it is finished. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. Into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. Oh, for the opportunity to know beforehand and to be able to say that. I'd love if if somehow I was dying and I had a room full of family members saved and lost and God says it's time to come home, Doug, and I could say, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit and I would die. Don't you think that those lost people would be amazed by that? The peace and die with a smile? And those that are saved, that are there, boy, they look at that and say, my day's coming one day. I need to get busy doing what God wants me to do. Jesus said, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. We can't take lightly the thing about Jesus dying on the cross. If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.mccowanmills.com. That is... M-C-C-O-W-E-N-M-I-L-L-S dot com or through the mail at P.O. Box 1611, Millbrook, Alabama 36054 or by calling 334-285-6650. Orders can be placed online or by calling toll-free at 1-866-344-1611.